turning you are so absolutely right <laughs> oh my god you know if it's 10 o'clock on a friday you know it's time for love baths love talk more talking 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 and today my good friend jeff grant is back he is executive director of uh family reentry and we're going to be talking about everything that's going on with family reentry there's a but, lot going on but back. first let me say congratulations new grandpa thank you very <laughs> thank you very excited my daughter carly gave birth to my grandson Yuval, that that's in, a cool name. It is a cool name. UV, UV. I like that. And um, so I'm going down to Raleigh on uh, North, Raleigh, North Carolina, on Saturday morning. Spend a few days and oh, and uh, take care of the baby for a few days, and then he's going to have his breasts on Tuesday morning. Oh, yeah, sweet, sweet, sweet. Yep. We love these new blessings. <laughs> so, what's happening, Jeff Grant? Well, you know the um, which. We're trying to do our best and expand and grow in this uh, crazy environment here in Connecticut. You now, know? family reentry is all about family reentry is a criminal justice nonprofit mm-hmm. uh, based in Bridgeport, but we also have offices in New Haven and, and Norwalk and five other cities around. Yes, because y'all are down the hall from me. We are Fifty uh, Fifth Street. We are. We're right next door to the inner city, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, we've uh we're, we're growing after our um, period of contraction after the connecticut budget crisis last year mm-hmm. took out um a lot of uh, programs from a lot of uh criminal justice agencies um in fact what they did was um, they did away with non-residential um, behavioral um programs in the state which unfortunately means that a lot of people will be coming out of prison in greater numbers thanks to the governor but unfortunately, what they won't have is access to a lot of wraparound services that they might that they had under the um, previously that um, help them prevent um, recidivism. Mm-hmm. So you know we're, um, we're not quite sure now how that's going to shake out in terms of prison population and crime and things like that. But we're doing our best at family reentry to try to grow, um, and we believe we've hit the bottom last year, and so we've already added four new domestic violence programs, prevention. Oh, okay. And, and we're geared to some more uh, programs we're looking at, and there'll be some consolidations and some strategic partnerships, and we're, we're happy about that. You know, it makes everybody look at things more carefully and streamline and, and manage and have to do business better, and, and that, that's a good thing. Wow. So on June 14th, you'll be uh, presenting the... Uh the person portal project at the the prison prison portal project at the governor's conference. What yeah. is what is that? Talk about that. So here's what happened. Last year, um, my wife Lynn Springer and I um, we went to a, an event at Greenwich Academy, mm-hmm. and while we were we got there early because you know I get there everywhere early. Oh, he does. <laughs> that is the truth. <laughs> and and they said have you seen the portal outside and we had no idea what they were talking about but they they showed us where to go and in and in the um, circular driveway up on the sidewalk we saw this gold painted um um storage container like a, you know, a full storage container like you'd see on a ship or you see in the back of a of a of a truck 
And we walked inside, and once we got in there, it was kind of like this interactive, immersive environment. Very, very high-tech, but very comfortable. And on the far wall was someone who was in another city, in another portal, but because of the technology, it's like you're in the same room as them. Wow. So it's like like we're sitting opposite each other right now, but but we could be thousands of miles away. So they have portals in Iraq and Afghanistan and Africa and China, and they have and they have them all over the place. But they also have them in some inner cities. They have them in Milwaukee. They have them in Chicago. And so um, we wound up talking to the founder, Amar Bakshi, of the Portal Project. Uh, he's at a company called Shared Studios out of Brooklyn. And I asked him, have you ever done a portal, one of these portals in a prison? And he said, no, but he would love to. So um, we entered into a um, an agreement with them where we became their you know exclusive liaison and a branding to, um, uh, um, opportunity throughout the country for criminal justice. And then we introduced them to Scott Semple, the commissioner of corrections of Connecticut, and mm-hmm. John Santa, who's the at that time was the chair of the or the acting chair of the sentencing commission. And uh, and Commissioner Semple, uh, Commissioner Semple and John Santa came down, and as soon as they got into the portal, they they got it right away. So, um, Commissioner Semple has green-lighted the first um, portal to be installed in a prison in the country, to be installed in a Connecticut prison in the fall. Wow! And then, so what does this mean? Like, so well, well, I'll tell you the other. I'll tell you the other half of it. So then we went to the city of Bridgeport, and you know, Lewis Reed, who's the head of the mayor's uh, initiative on reentry affairs, there is our liaison there, and he championed this and brought it to Mayor Ganim. Mm-hmm. And they want to do a portal in downtown Bridgeport, and we're citing that now. So what it means is, as our pilot, is that families who couldn't uh, afford to take off time from work, take their kids out of school, the expense of going two hours north and two hours back from prison, can now go into a, or will be able to go into a portal in Bridgeport, which is convenient in their neighborhood or downtown, and have an a face-to-face visit with their loved one who's in prison. So imagine if their mother is in prison at York, for example, and the kids can actually spend quality time with their parent in a way that they never other, they never could before, mm-hmm. as if they're in the same room. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really amazing technology. We're really happy to bring it to to the state. And Amar and I are, have been given some time at the uh, Governor's Reentry Conference next week in Hartford on June 14th, ac- actually at 11.15 a.m., because we know the schedule already. And we're going to be presenting it. We have a video, and and we have, uh, and we'll be showing people the advantages of what technology can actually do to to create a more humane um, experience, both for the people who are incarcerated and their families at home. So we're, we're really excited that about that. That would work, particularly if you if your loved one is far, yeah, if, if it's far away, yeah. because a lot of prisons are notoriously out of reach. That's right. Like you know, you can't. It's not like you can just hop on a bus and go across town like some prisons are way out of range for people. even even in connecticut i mean there's no there's not direct um door-to-door to a lot of the prisons and it could take you know um a lot of time and and it costs people days of work yeah and and expenses just just to actually do it and and a lot, a lot of these families because the breadwinner is in prison you know they're they're on they're on subsidy. They're on food stamps. They're they're just trying to make do, mm-hmm. and so we've taken some of the sting out of that. And so would this be free? It would be free. It would be free. Free, but 
but it has to be curated appropriately mm-hmm. because obviously the uh, the um, the person in prison has uh, limitations as to when they can be in the portal and what the yeah. security is. So it, or it would be curated. But the other thing, when bringing it into a community, for example, Bridgeport, um, the curator there, it, he, they're not limited to uh, programming it just for uh, prison uh, visits. For example, the uh, portal at um, Greenwich Academy the kids would go in there and they would meet kids who were in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And so there would be eight kids in the portal in Afghanistan, eight kids in the portal in, in Greenwich, and they formed a musical group and each using indigenous um, uh, instruments. And so they had an orchestra, they sing together, they learn together. And imagine kids from Bridgeport or New Haven or Hartford who wouldn't re- otherwise have the opportunity to tra- travel and visit people in Iraq or, or, or Afghanistan or whatever. And so what a tremendous opportunity to bring this into the, you know, into the um, inner city and, you know, create, um, you know, learning and health and, and well-being. So very, wow. again, very, very exciting. Well, that'd be, I'd be interested yeah. in seeing how this all sort of plays out. Yeah. So that's our next big thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, in fact, I'm flying from North Carolina directly into, um, into Bradley's to go right to the conference. Okay. And family reentry will be well represented at the conference and, uh, we'll, we'll have a bunch of people there. And then, you know, we're, we're, we're proud of our state for putting on the conference it's um it's the first time I'm sure that that they're doing it so I'm sure it's not going to be perfect it's uh, it's going to have uh, you know all, all all the issues that you have when you when you do something for the first time but you know we lower our our, our expectations mm-hmm. and and we're and we're you know, we're proud to represent family reentry in the criminal justice community so what does a do you do you happen to know what the governor's thinking is around this conference like what is the goal are we trying to raise awareness are we what are we doing um. I'm not sure of what the uh, of what the actual purpose behind the conference is. I, I wasn't on that planning committee. Okay, um, but I can tell you that um, anything that that creates some awareness and um, and is embedded in some form of solution that I'm behind and we're behind at family reentry. And I and I believe that you know, everyone's gone into this with good intentions. Mm-hmm. And um, we're we're happy to be there, and um, we'll we'll do the best we can, you know. Well, I mean, I'm as you know, with all the looming budget cuts, I mean, I, I'm happy to know that this is still on the lips of people. You know, like uh, issues of mass incarceration hasn't gone away or disappeared out of the conversation, you know. So, well, in, in our state budget alone, between Department of Corrections and um, Court Support Services, um, the, the Court Support Division. Um, it's like 1.4 billion dollars of our state budget, so it, it's it's a significant part um, of of the tax base. It's a significant part of the actual cultural problem we have here mm-hmm. in Connecticut, and so I don't think it it can just be um, brushed under the rug. It has to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. And now that criminal justice issues are dinner table conversation for um, from for most families. I mean, maybe they were a lot in the inner city for a long time, but across the whole country, people are willing to discuss criminal justice and what it means. And then all of its offshoots like gun control, wrongful prosecution, um, um, prosecutorial misconduct, whatever those issues are, they're, they're, they're in the national debate now. So, you know, uh, Connecticut was a leader in a lot of ways, very, very reform, uh, a lot of reform and had some problems with the budget. But I believe that the uh, commissioner of corrections, Scott Semple, who's a very, very, a progressive leader for corrections in the state. I believe he's poised to do some things that we wouldn't have otherwise seen. And I think that we're going to get into uh, some 
significantly enlightened corrections and um and criminal justice and that makes us very happy wow i'm 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 liking this conversation Mm -hmm. so uh angela medina of uh family reentry was awarded the fairfield 40 and 40 and 40 40 and under 40 award yes it's the 40 under 40 for fairfield county yeah um, and it, it was um I like those things. I think yeah, it's a, great, isn't it? It's a cool. I need the yeah. fifty and fifty under. I need yeah. the fifty and fifty. <laughs> yeah, that's a you know Fear, Fearful County Business Journal um, uh-huh. sponsored that, and um, and we submitted Angela's name because she's a fantastic person. She's been with Family Rancher for four or five years, and we feel like um, it's important to recognize people who are doing exceptional work. And Angela's been at the forefront. She has the um, confidence, not just of us, but of a lot of the state officials, specifically at CSSD, we've grown under her leadership. We have the largest domestic violence programs in the state mm-hmm. in eight different communities. And that's uh, um, a lot of that's because of her, her, her leadership. So we, um, we submitted her name and she got chosen. So there's going to be a party and a All benefit right. party and we'll be there. Nice. And our board of directors has bought a, um, I don't know if she knows it. Well, Angela, uh, Angela, if you don't know this yet, <laughs> Our board of directors has bought, you know, advertisements in in Fairfield County Business Journal in the program, wishing her well and congratulating her. So that, that's nice. a, it's a big deal. It is a big deal because this is not easy work. No, no, you know, and and it's often goes thankless. No, but there's only forty people um, in the entire Fairfield County who are being awarded that. So and she's one of them. So nice. you know, we're, we're we're grateful to her, and um, and uh, it just it, it feels good that. That people, that employees of any organization are actually recognized. That that the, this is something that recognizes her for her specific contribution, mm-hmm. and um, you know, not just kind of the the um, corporate party line. This is her, and um, and that's great. And, good. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Good. That good people ought to be recognized mm-hmm. for the work that they do. So uh, on June twenty seventh, you're speaking at the Nantucket Project. Oh, you are. No, not not the Nantucket Project in Nantucket. I but di- in Greenwich. I, in Greenwich, right? They have a library in their headquarters in uh, in Greenwich on Mason Street, and so I'm going to be speaking there. And the name of you know, oh you don't know this yet, Babs. The name I don't think you know it anyway. The name of my talk is called Down and Out in Greenwich, Connecticut. <laughs> Which, I don't know. I didn't know this. And, well, you and I both know that I was down and out in Greenwich, yes. Connecticut, and it, and it's a story of um, um, you know, my fall from grace mm-hmm. and um, you know, my uh, my uh, alcoholism and uh, substance abuse and disbarment, and then my road back through going to prison and then going to seminary and mm-hmm. becoming a prison minister, and then of course being um, elected as the um, uh, executive director of Family Rentry. Not your usual trajectory when those things happen, I admit. But you know, I'm 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 proud of that. I'm I'm humbled, and uh, the Nantucket Project uh, people are have been very very good to the criminal justice community here. Yeah, I went yeah. to their event. Yeah, you know that it, event it was, in Greenwich was it unbelievable, was, wasn't it? Oh my god! Yeah, I was like, whoa! I mean, that was big time stuff. Yeah. Was Neil Phillips unbelievable yeah, when he was up there? Yeah, I thought that was really yeah. In, in uh, Invisible Man Project out of Bradenton, uh, Bradenton, Florida, mm-hmm. and Neil's an exceptional guy and a great speaker. It was good. Yeah, I, mean, I, I enjoyed. It was all of it was quite illuminating. 
Yeah, and the and, and the the marriage of tech and and heart and spirituality. Yeah. You know, it's like you yeah. can you can get lost in the tech sometimes a little bit, and the humanness doesn't come through. Mm-hmm. But um, they seem to have figured that out. Yeah. So th- there had to be 300 people oh, sitting in the round there more. Oh, easy, easy yeah. in that big old tent. Oh, yeah, and, <laughs> and, and you got to see the Greenwich Polo Fields. Yes, How about that? I was like, what? <laughs> kind of money you have to have to have this? Yeah, well, not, <laughs> not the kind of money I have now, Babs. <laughs> I, was, I was impressed. I really was. And uh, the mm. people couldn't have been nicer. And it was just a wonderful event and uh, yeah. well orchestrated. And Yeah, I, I spoke at the uh, Nantucket Project. Their, their actual main conference um, in 2013. Mm-hmm. And that's when I first told the story of what happened to me and, and how I've come back from it. And um, so I was sitting in front of 700 people who could afford $5,000 a ticket. Yeah. So these are, you know, these are people who flew in. I don't know what they did. Some of them flew in. Some <laughs> of them may take choppers in. I don't know what they do. But, but, but Lynn and I were there and, and you know, it's at that point, it's like ten years after my fall uh-huh. and and my comeback, and um, I was nervous. You know, I it was, I had never actually disclosed some of the stuff in public before, um, other than like in a in a recovery room, and I was really really nervous, mm-hmm. and um, I didn't know if I could get up there on stage. And they had me between um, Steve Case, who the guy who founded AOL, and a a wonderful teenage uh, Christian singer who was blind, um, young teenage, maybe 12, 13 years old, blind, but sang in perfect pitch. He sang beautiful Christian songs and th- things like that. Not that this is a Christian conference, but that just happened to be what he did. And I'm in between them, and I got the shakes. I, I couldn't, I, I didn't think I can get up on stage. And so when I got up there, and I was planning on, you know, a talk kind of like this, very, you know, comfortable, little TEDxy. Um, but I got brought to my knees on that stage. Wow! And, I mean, I, I felt the infusion of the spirit, and mm-hmm. I and I, I was there was all the all the, the the snarkiness or all the 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 um the comfort of of the um just came out of me, you know, because I'd I'd been giving sermons at that point and things. It just I got brought to my knees, and I was so raw and vulnerable in front of those people and so i spoke for 17 minutes but i can tell you like 10 minutes into it babs there wasn't a peep in the in the crowd and all of a sudden i, I got consciousness like and I, I i said i couldn't figure out am, am i bombing like you know what's going on here but at the end um um i got a standing ovation which wow. I, which i don't remember I, I literally don't remember and um the way i know that it it worked was because for the next three days of the conference of the 700 guests there or so i kid you not a hundred of them came up to lynn lynn and me to tell us their um their day counts of sobriety that their children are in rehab that they have that there's mental illness in their family they don't know what to do they don't know where to go and and lynn and i would go back to our hotel room at night and think you know there's something going on in this country where people want to really have the conversation and tell the truth and be vulnerable to one another, but they don't feel like they have permission to do it. So what they do is they pose and they put on, you know, they put on masks, Mm -hmm. but people really want to be able to communicate about these things. And we, we have an opioid epidemic and, and kids are dying, 
but are the parents actually able to talk about it with anybody and, and get information, but also have empathy and have, and, and have the kind of um, uh, communication that you need to get through that kind of trauma? Mm-hmm. And I think that the answer in large part right now is no, but that's what we're working for. We're working towards that kind of level of, of human experience so that we can, as a community, we can, we can grow and learn and move forward with one another. Wow. If you just tuned in this morning, this is Love Babs Love Talk on 103.5 FM on WNHH. I'm sitting here with my good friend, Jeff Grant, who is the executive director of Family Reentry. And so we're just catching up on uh, everything that's going on in uh, mass incarceration and community um, social justice kind of things. So uh, let's see, what else do I have here in my notes? On, on your list here. On my list. So July 16th, you're going to be featured. You're a featured nonprofit in the Fairfield. What is this? The Fa- Fairfield County Look VIP tent at Greenwich Polo. Ah, so that were, place is fabulous. Oh, so you were on the polo field when you saw the Nantucket Project last month. Yes. Is uh, we went together, um, but um, this is actually at polo, like and a, a game, like the the, they, the polo with the, with the ponies and the, and the you know and whatever they call the polo mallets or whatever and and um, I haven't been to polo much in my life, but you know I live in Greenwich and for some people polo is a big thing, and uh, it's fascinating that it's there. I mean that the, the, I had no idea that. <laughs> That, that that I mean that much that much land and the beauty. I, but that's, you know what? That's the thing that struck me when I was out there for their event. I was like, oh, I and I didn't realize it was the polo grounds. I was just like, why is there so much land, open space? I was like, is this a golf course? Like, what's happening? And a museum in the middle. And a museum. <laughs> <laughs> right the 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 Brant family museum. You know, Peter Brant and his wife uh, Stephanie Stephanie Seymour have that museum right on the polo field. So it's. It was an incredible experience last month at the and a beautiful night. That it was day. a beautiful night. It really was. You know, the weather was. They got perfect. lucky. You know, they did because you know we've been rained out of everything. So, but, so but, uh, but this this will be actually at Polo and the um, Fearful Candy Look people. What they do is they they host the VIP tent, which I have not been in, so I don't. I I only know through them. But they've asked uh, every weekend that there's Polo for like four or five weekends in a row. They make their tent available, and they promote local nonprofits. Mm-hmm. And um, and Elaine Urbana, who um, who is uh, who owns, I guess she owns Fairfield County. Look, she approached us and she asked us if we would want to be a um, a beneficiary. You know, one of the featured nonprofits, which is huge. Because do you get money? Like, do do people donate, or they just or no, just no, I, or people I, see you? Oh no, I think we get money. I, <gasps> I hope we get money. Whoa. <laughs> but, but but the truth is is that you know um you know that one of my projects is to integrate um communities like Greenwich with communities like Bridgeport and and have them be communicating in a different way mm-hmm. and really understand the problems that are inherent in both i mean i lived in greenwich for a long time and you know i've been, i've been a minister there and i've been a minister in in the inner city in bridgeport and it always struck me as strange that people in greenwich but other affluent communities where for a long time they believed there was no crime in Greenwich, <laughs> despite the fact that you open up the, you, know, you turn on uh, CNBC or you open up the wall street journal every day and all you see is crime in Greenwich. Right. But, um, it, you know, people are starting to understand that, um, these are, um, 
sick and suffering people, whether you live in Bridgeport or you live in Greenwich, and a lot of sim- similar issues in terms of you know compulsions and addictions mm-hmm. and um, and um, desperation and wanting a lot of them want to do the right thing, but they don't know how to do the right thing, um, whether it's character flaws or whatever. And um, in some cases, it's just greed. And, you know, I work with gangbangers in, in Bridgeport, and I've worked with hedge fund people in Greenwich. And, and sometimes they, they have this overwhelming need to um, succeed that subsumes, you know, the, uh, the more righteous parts of their life. You know, it's certainly not, you know, no one at 12 years old, you know, um, says, you know, I want to grow up and go to jail. Mm-hmm. But yet a lot of people do. And you know that... 70 million people in this um, country have criminal records. So we're, so as a society, we're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. If uh, you know, if a, a quarter or a fifth of our population is walking around with criminal records and they find it hard to get jobs and support their families. And um, so we have some light being shined on that now for sure. But m- one of my tasks is to, is to show people in all these communities that we have, um, we have some common things and then there are some things that aren't so common in terms of the way that say churches get involved or um, other structures get involved. And um, since uh, you know, I myself went to prison and I'm a, I'm a, a Greenwicher who works in Bridgeport. Um, I hope that that helps in terms of the communication and we're, and we're trying. We'll see. Well, I mean, how are you met? How are you met when you go into these spaces where affluence is the order. Um, do you get the sense that they feel like what you do has some merit to them? Or do they feel like, I, you know, Jeff, you're, you, you know, this is, you know, I know I love the work that you do in Bridgeport, but this is Greenwich and our issues are a little different. And, you know, I mean, do you, what do you see? What do you feel when you do those, when you do that work? It, it depends. It's largely case by case. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean the problem, you know, I, um, I spoke with the wonderful um, Larice Harvey a couple of yes, years ago. Yes, we're Facebook friends. Yeah, Larice is wonderful. And, yes. I, and, and Larice, if you're listening, please call us. Call us. We miss you. And um, she and I spoke at the Harriet Beecher Stowe Center mm-hmm. um, a couple of years ago. And so the, we, were, we were on the... Um, panel together mostly because i was a uh, a felon from uh from the affluent suburbs and she was a felon from the uh, inner city and she'd served you know quite a bit of time and she'd come out and now she's doing wonderful advocacy work and and so we we were talking and and at, at the end there was a question and answer period and one of the um one of the guys stood up from the in, in the back of the room waved his hand and we and he was called on by the uh, moderator and he said you know, people in like in Greenwich, where 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 you're from, Jeff. He said they're afraid of people who have um, criminal convictions of of a different color. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him. I said, if you think they're afraid of felons with a different color, you should see how they feel about felons with the same color. Because what happens is is that it represents a mirror back on them. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to look that much at at what they do. They want to live in some kind of fantasy about, about that everything's okay and everything's rosy and let's not really address our problems. So there's definitely that type of person that we, that we run into who have some kind of uh, um, sanctimonious um, relationship with, with the world's issues. 
Um, that's all the way at one side. And then the other side, there's people of, of huge amounts of empathy and mm-hmm. spirituality and kindness who, who understand that this is a, um, an ecosystem problem, a systemic problem, and they want to get involved and try to make the world a better place. And then there's the universe of people in between who, who are just basically going about their lives and wouldn't necessarily be even thinking about it if we didn't call it their attention somehow. And uh, so we're trying, you know, we, we do our best. We're, it's non-judgmental. We try to be non-judgmental. We hope we're encouraging them to be non-judgmental. And we just take everybody where they are. And it's not everybody's appetite. It's not, not everybody wants to get involved. But the people that do, I find, you know, I think they find a, a new kind of fulfillment that they wouldn't otherwise find in life. Wow, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So, what are you um, thinking about as you move family reentry forward? Like, what's in your? What's the biggest thing on your plate these days? Um, we, we've definitely come into an environment where um, collaboration is the name of the of the uh, order i don't think any nonprofit can survive in this kind of uh restrictive um uh, financial environment where there's re- restrictions to government contracts now and we have uh, we have shrinkage a lot of um fiscal issues all over mm-hmm. and no one can be a silo or an island anymore everyone's got to collaborate and find ways of finding um n- not just financial ways of getting together but actually drive the mission better through collaboration and you know the the historic way that nonprofits probably work everywhere is that in some level people think they're in competition with one another and the competition for contracts or funding or their competition for and when um i got this position i uh, when the board uh, you know was interviewing me and they asked me because i was on the board with them for a long time but they asked me if i would uh, take this position i said yes but there's a few tenets that are important and one is that we're not going to be in competition with anyone anymore okay we're gonna we are gonna be uh we're gonna collaborate and and we're going to be completely mission driven and not worry so much about the structure of our organization or anybody else's organ- organization what we want is the impact we want the results we were we want to get to the point where we're really making a difference and whether that takes a year or five years or 10 years isn't really the point. The point is that we have to be, have that kind of vision and that kind of leadership. And so because of that, I think in the last year, we've been able to add four new programs already. We're looking at, at adding four new programs very, very soon. And this is a t- you know, at a time of, of, um, of retraction where people are losing their contracts. Yeah. We're actually getting more. So yeah. um, I'm proud of that. Um, I can't say that I have that much to do with it other than the fact that we have the best practitioners in the state working for us at family reentry and the best reputation. And that wasn't under my leadership. That was under the, you know, the, the, the last 10 or 15 years of growing a, I would say the, uh, the best reputation for program in the state. Do you, uh, when you think about collaborative efforts, do you think, um, are you thinking about, um, efforts that are not historically uh, what what one would think the is the most beneficial marriage. Like, are you thinking about collabor- collaborative efforts with folks that are not necessarily um, in your wheelhouse? There's no question that the collaborations have to be with other agencies or other structures. 
that have different core competencies that we ha- than we have. But it kind of makes sense. Like if 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 your child, you have a child, and your child has a has a um, a goal to go to college mm-hmm. and get it and get such and such a degree. Mm-hmm. At the end of that degree, they have to be thinking about what they're going to do for. Um, for work i mean mm-hmm. ultimately it's professionally driven for most people it's you know it's high school to college and then into some kind of work or maybe a master's program but for most of these people who have uh, criminal justice issues or mental health issues or substance abuse issues what happens is is that they don't have a clear path through their treatment into an education into a job the things that that you would come to expect when you're 12 or 13 years old, maybe if you're, unless by that point you've kind of, uh, you've turned to um, the structure is not there. I mean, there's no integrated case management anywhere that takes a person from the beginning of their problems all the way through. And so that, and and is guiding them so that they either avoid the criminal justice system or if they enter the criminal justice system to, so that they are successful through it and all the way out the other side. I mean, there's, there's movements cradle to career, which are, which essentially would do that. Although there's no money for case management, but I, I would suggest that if we really were looking at it carefully, it would be cradle to pardon, so that someone comes all the way through the system, comes out the other side, and then needs to build that family and community ecosystem around them, where if they are faithful they have they have faith leaders to support them they have jobs to support them their families support them all of those things line up to the point where 5 or 10 years out of prison or out of the system what happens is that they are they are keyed up to get a pardon and how wonderful because Connecticut does have a very progressive pardon system yes. and, and an independent pardon and parole board yes they yes so how great would it be if someone went all the way through this and then was actually pardoned. The record was expunged, and they no longer had the barriers of having a felony over their heads, and they could go about supporting their family and living a life, you know, of uh, a uh, a full life unencumbered by that. Now that's a tremendous result. Now is that the kind of conversations you're having with stakeholders? Are sure. you having that conversation? And how receptive are people to that? Um, I think people. Are, I like it, but I think people are very receptive to it. Concept. I mean, how to how to actually achieve it? I mean, we we would have to kind of slice up everything differently. You know, right now, uh, I would say that for the most part, things are still in silos. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's some progressive um, um, initiatives going on. A lot of them under Commissioner Semple, but there are other progressive initiatives going on. But I don't think that anybody's willing to take the whole pie and slice it differently, so that it's going to track people all the way from at-risk youth through the 20 or 30 years it takes to, if they get into trouble, to, to get a pardon. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think it slices that way, but there's no reason it couldn't. Yeah. Yeah, but you know what? You could certainly put that on a table somewhere on the pipeline, mm-hmm. toward the end of the pipeline, when people are starting to come out and you're putting supportive things and wraparounds for them, and the conversation could come up. You know what? Do this, this, this. Work on a pardon. I don't know if people sort of get the pardon part because they're so busy trying to get the living part. Oh yeah, survival. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, like I can't think about pardon right now. I got to get a job. I got to get my kids back. I got to get housing. I got a GD. I got to do all these other things. But this, to me, this is the crazy part because if you check into the hospital, 
on the first day of the hospital, the social worker's there discussing with you your discharge plan. Right. <laughs> and, and you say, wait a second, I just got here. What are we talking about discharge for? But that's true. It is true, of course. That is very true. But, but why aren't we thinking that way in in other structures, I mean, specifically the criminal justice system? Because if our job is from day one to get you through this to to be successful, to be well, then why aren't we doing that? And the answer is, is because for the most part, we're, we do today what we did yesterday. We're not, there's not really huge impetus for change, um, at least from the, from the public, from the people who influence the legislators. But if there was, then we could really see the kind of um, enlightened environment that we really need so that we could attack the underlying causes of, uh, of, 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 uh, of criminal behavior like poverty mm-hmm. and racial injustice and, mm-hmm. and lack of access to education and things like that. And once we're really, once we're, once we're disrupting the, the um, intergenerational cycle of incarceration at, at its source where we're in the community, the, um, the resources aren't there to begin with. If we actually add those resources, we're, ne- we're necessarily going to build an environment so it's not really a prison problem. It's not really a criminal justice problem. It's a it's a life problem. It's a community problem, and um, I don't think enough attention is really put on that, or at least not in a in a um, collaborative kind of way where all the stakeholders really come together and say, "Okay, we're going to address this because this is going to be our disruption point." Mm-hmm. But at Family Reentry, we're trying. Mm-hmm. So, are the, do you do you press this point to the legislative body? Like, do you get in their face and say, you know? This is what we, you know, this is how we see things. <laughs> Here's how crazy it is in the state. <laughs> so, um, a couple of months ago, the governor proposed a budget, and his portions of the budget for um, CSSD, which criminal support services, and and the Department of Corrections. The um, public hearing was on one night, and the public hearing, uh, they um, the individual um, divisions, um, uh, they present their budget. Or they present their their um, their issues with the governor's proposed budget, and then in the evening they have uh, they have public hearings. So the way you sign up for a public hearing is you have to get there in the morning and put your name on the list. Yes, and then I've you ha- done it. And then you have to wait the whole day, the whole day to, to right. Yeah. And then six thirty at night or something, then the public hearing starts. So when we so we put our name on the list. Actually, the um, uh, Connecticut Alliance and Julia Wilcox and the people at the uh, at Connecticut Nonprofit Alliance put our names on the list for us so we didn't have to go up to Hartford at seven in the morning and then, and then um, be up there for 12 hours waiting to testify. So we had put, we had submitted some written testimony and our numbers on the list for hearings that started at like at six thirty in the evening, our numbers were like 172 Whoa. and 198. <sighs> and, and so we were spread out the three of us who were going to speak, but, um, the numbers were so high, we didn't. Th- we thought we'd be there till one in the morning. Yeah. But what happens is that they update the list, and so when we got there at six thirty, we were actually numbers fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen. Oh, okay. Hun- over one hundred and fifty people who had signed up didn't didn't come in the evening to speak. They just wanted their their places held. So we got up there, and it was really only like seven thirty. We uh, by the, uh, only an hour had gone by or so and we spoke and not only were we the only major nonprofit 
from the criminal justice sector in the entire state to give testimony. We were also the only major nonprofit of any sort from Bridgeport to actually be there giving testimony. And I'm not patting ourselves on the head that we actually did this because we think it's important to do. But like, what's going on in this state if you're going to complain about the structure, you're going to complain that there's no place to be heard, you're going to complain about what the governor's doing, what the legislator's doing, but you're not actually going to show up and be involved in that conversation, but mm-hmm. especially at the Appropriations Committee where they appropriate the, bu- the, the money for the yeah, budget. That's true. So th- they're not there. And th- and I was only a couple of months as Executive Director of Family Reentry. I-, I was flabbergasted. Like, where are all my colleagues? Why aren't you here? And in truth, I think that I think uh, there's a lot of burnout. I think people have been fighting for such a long time and things are going backwards financially in a lot of ways, even if, even as there's some progress being made uh, in terms of uh, policy that um, I don't think that they feel like they're going to be heard. Like mm-hmm. there's any real reason. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's good enough. I mean, maybe the reason I went to union seminary and I became an activist was so that I'm going to bang heads with, with things that don't look like they can move, but we're going to move them anyway. And we got up there. I can't even tell you the, res- or the response we got. They actually stopped the appropriations uh, hearings and came and thanked us for showing up. And they came out in the hallway and they thanked us. They thanked us for actually ha- um, having a showing. And that's the kind of leadership that I'd like to show to the community. And I'd like all of my nonprofit colleagues to get on board and say, you know, we, we have to show up now. We have to be a voice because, mm-hmm. we, because we are the ones with the on-the-ground experience. We're the closest to the users. Yes. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. That's a very good point. And I think you're right. I think there is a, a modicum of burnout because people have been slogging up there for years and at every turn, giving testimony, writing testimony, speaking. And so it's ex- it can be exhausting. I think. But there's a lot of good legislators. A lot of people oh, who yeah. really care. And I come yeah. from New Haven. So, you know, oh, we yeah. have you know we have great legislators yeah. from New oh, Haven. <laughs> although some became your mayor, right? So <laughs> Yes. Which is not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. Yeah. And she's going to be mayor again. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, it's always a pleasure talking to you, Jeff. I'm Thank glad you. that you came and updated and let me know what's happening and let our listeners know what's going on, that this is a... An ever going, ever growing um, consciousness raising um, effort yep. that we don't sleep. Mm-hmm. You know that. Well, is- I I can be reached at Jeff Grant at familyreentry.org. Yep. And if you go on our website, familyreentry.org, there's um, opportunities to mentor. There's opportunities to get involved. Certainly, opportunities to donate. We're mm-hmm. in the middle of our annual appeal right now. And yes, I would- got I got my emails. <laughs> <laughs> and you know we can't do it without the money that's right that's right so um i think that would be great if um if even people could donate ten dollars it would be yeah. huge yeah. and and that happens i mean we, you know we have a very uh, robust uh private development department in fact the largest in the state of uh, in criminal justice by far but um every dollar counts you know we're we're, we're out there on the firing lines trying to be creative and trying to uh, and trying to actually add value and, and get impact mm-hmm. and that's what the private dollars do well thank you so much thank i know you, you'll Beth. be back in another couple of months to keep me filled in i appreciate that right, and, thank you Beth. and have a safe trip to uh north carolina i will i'll be thinking about you yes and uh, i can't wait to hear how the um i know you'll you'll issue a statement or you'll write something about the um conference Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, like if you want to write an opinion or something, I'll yep. run it, you know. So yep. so thank you. Thank you, Harry. 
take good care, Jeff Grant. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> <sighs>